The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of A Man for All Seasons, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of this fine 1966 movie. And joining me today on the panel are Mike Denz. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. And Mike Creevy. Hey, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Very good, thanks. Uh, It's the Mike and Mike show. I just Again. realized that. Right? <laughs> I was like, oh no. We've done I, this before, though. I would, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, when, when necessary, I will try to refer to you by your last names, and that way we'll everyone will be okay. Uh, folks, before we get started, I want to encourage you to write a review of the, of the podcast at Apple Podcasts, and please share it with your friends. Uh, if you enjoy this show, your friends are sure to enjoy it as well, and that helps us grow the community. The only way this show grows, really, is by you sharing it with others. And I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy. And actually, this is very uh, appropriate. It was a random choice. PlayStation Portable is a daily podcast. It, it comes in five parts a day, and it's the daily prayer of the church, the divine office, it's, it's sometimes called. And it is a wonderful way to pray along with the whole church uh, together. So you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash PSP. So uh, we are talking about today about the 1966 version of the movie A Man for All Seasons. There have been other versions. There's a 1988 version starring Charlton Heston. There were several others in the 50s and 60s. Uh, but this is the most famous one, partly because it it was so good. It won so many Academy Awards. I didn't even count, but it was like everything. Um, uh, one, two, three four, five, six, six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Paul Schofield, Best Screenplay, Best Cinematography, Best Costume Design, uh, and nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Robert Shaw as King Henry and uh, Wendy Hiller, who played uh, his daughter, Margaret, uh, Thomas's daughter, Margaret, uh, I think. Wait, no, no, that was Susanna York. Wendy Hiller was Alice, his wife. Was it Alice? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So, uh all that said, it was preamble. It It is uh, just kind of give a quick recap in case you're not familiar, but you should definitely watch the movie before we discuss. This is the based on the true life story of St. Thomas More, the martyr uh, who died at the hand spoiler. of. Yes. Spoiler. <laughs> yes. At the hand of <laughs> King Henry VIII for refusing to uh, to go along with the, the king's wishes with regard to uh, his desire to divorce and disobey the pope. Uh, but we'll get we'll definitely get more into that because there's more nuance to that story than, than what I just said. Uh, it stars Paul Schofield as uh, Thomas More and a great cast. We'll talk about the cast a little more in a second. But I want to start off by first noting that the day we record this. We're recording recording this on May 19th is the anniversary of the death of Anne Boleyn in 1536. I did not know. That. I didn't know that till I just happened to happen upon that <laughs> fact today. I was reading the, in the newspaper and it's like, no way. What a weird coincidence. Uh, Anne Boleyn, of course, figuring quite prominently in the story of St. Thomas More. So, yes, I uh, uh, thought that was interesting. Uh, but I, what I really want to start with is uh 
your history, you know, your background with this movie, I will confess, this was the first time I'd seen it. I had, I was oh, really, I have a, a list of, of a handful of movies that everyone I know has seen and I have not. And it's just one of those things where I just haven't got around to it and I need to. And this was a great uh, excuse for me to do that. Another one is Babette's Feast. I know everyone who's ever been to Steubenville apparently <laughs> is required to watch that or while they're there. I somehow missed <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, and there's a few others like that. Um, my wife introduced me to Babette's uh, to um, Casablanca when we were dating. I watched mm. The Godfather for the first time for this podcast, that sort of thing. So another first for me. So uh, that's my background with The Man for All Seasons. But uh, Mike Denz, what's what's your background with it? I was introduced to it by one of my best friends, probably in the neighborhood of 25, 27 years ago, uh, when we were in Steubenville, uh, or at least I'm not like in, in Steubenville, but we both lived in Buffalo too. So he probably, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm thinking they might show it to me then too. And so I remember he would like introduce me all these like holy movies, like Beckett and all these different things, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, what was, uh, the one Nazi one about uh, Scarlet and the Red. Uh, Scarlet and the Red. I'm like, it has mm. red in it. Scarlet yes. and the Red. Yeah. <laughs> awesome yeah. movies. If we that haven't done great. those, we should do those too. But yeah. So this is the, the it was, it, it wasn't one of those movies where I'm like, oh, I want to see that again. I mean, I watched it. It was really compelling. I really liked it. And uh, then when I saw we were going to do a uh, podcast for this, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that. I'll watch it again. Uh, and it, and, and really the, the, the history of it for me is just, uh, I love Thomas More um, and St. Thomas More and the the reason for why he's a martyr I think is very unique mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. so that's kind of you know I think we're going to get into more of, of the actual saint that it's, it's based on later but so my affection for the saint is probably one of the biggest things Excellent. How about you Mike Creevy? Oh, it's I feel uh, I feel a little pressure here just because <laughs> you know, by default I've, I've uh, now I've I've probably seen it. Oh, geez. I've probably seen it between a dozen and 20 times at least. Um, And I don't know why. What's funny is so we watched it in Mrs. Roan's 12th grade English class. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mrs. Roan. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know her. So Mrs. Roan's 12th grade English class. And what's funny is. Um, I went to, so I I did uh, public school K through 12 and, you know, at the time, at least, you know, uh, it was a pretty, you know, as far as like public schools go, like it was a pretty like faith friendly public school. Like, you know, a lot of the craziness you hear about now, like it certainly wasn't going on there. Um, and so that was, I was very fortunate that, you know, we had a lot of, of teachers who were, you know, not overtly, you know, kind of, of sharing faith necessarily, but they were never like hostile to it. And I don't think she showed it to us because of that specifically. I think it's because it was, you know, somehow connected to its place with an English history, you know, or, or the connection to that story. Now I knew, I don't have any memory of, ha- of knowing anything about Thomas More before that. Uh, I don't know how much just where I was at my own faith at the time, you know, like how much that specific, you know, kind of aspect of it was, was driving my interest, but it it definitely brought that up to the top, I think, or, or brought it to the surface a little more. And I think from the get go, and I know we'll get into this a lot. I just, it's so quotable, Mm. you know, and there's just so many great lines all throughout it. And, And as I understand it, as I've learned more about it over the years, like a lot of it, you know, comes from, you know, uh, 
certain writing. I mean, he wrote so much, you know, in his in his life. So I, I the I've I've read a couple biographies on on more. I've I've really grown like Mike was saying. And I just love him as 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 a saint, and he's just an intriguing person. Uh, to learn about. And so, of course, you know, this is a movie, there's dramatic license throughout it, that kind of thing. But uh, I think a lot of the dialogue, a lot of his speeches, a lot of those things are um, based on things he wrote, based on the way he talked, you know, in some cases at the end, as we'll get to based on certain, you know, court testimony, too, I think, from his actual trial. So I, I love that aspect of it. Yeah, uh, the, the the play itself, uh, I'm sorry, the movie itself is based on a play adapted from the play by the the playwright to a movie script, Robert Bolt uh, wrote both. And uh, yeah, I, I, I get the sense I've read some things about Thomas More. Um, I've kind of delved into a, a, a biography once and, uh, and uh, it, it has that feel. The one thing that is interesting, interesting to me about the movie though, is you do get a sense that he's pious and devoted Mm-hmm. But you don't get the saintly man of the Catholic faith sense that that he you don't it doesn't come through as much. Uh, it's not right. a knock against the movie. It's just that's not what the movie was showing, I think, uh, there. Yeah. Well, and I, I think and he was I just looked it up because he wasn't canonized till. 1935 is like 400 years later. Right. So I, I don't know what the, what the process was there, but yeah. Yeah. You would, you would think the Pope that he was defending be like, Hey, we're canonizing him right away. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, he just stood up for me like that. In fact, I mean, it, 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 I was saying almost the opposite of, of the Pope is trying to uh, deal with this very delicate situation, canonizing the guy who was at the that center of it be. might've actually made it even worse. <laughs> yeah. If he was trying to heal things, I suppose that's what should be. Hmm, yeah, that's a good point. But it, it is true that um, it used to be a canonization processes would take hundreds of years. I mean, it actually did take a long time. Yeah, uh, the, our our rapid <laughs> processes today are an aberration in many in many ways. Isn't that even like Dom? I think didn't you and Jimmy just recently that came up in one of the recent shows about Joan of Arc? You're not being canonized oh, yeah. until. You know, it was longer than that, right? You yes. Know, yeah. So. I mean, there are like there are saints, like people who were held as saints in their lifetime, who it took hundreds of years for them to get canonized. Uh, I think Saint Olaf. Uh, this one who's mm. like a uh, a national saint. You know, the sort of the patron saint mm. of a nation, and it again took you know ages. But so it's it, it's not, it's not necessarily a knock against them for that right, it took so right. long. But yeah, it, it is interesting though that um, it, it the title itself is an interesting title, a man for all seasons. And I was pondering like what what do we mean by that? Uh, what, what 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 do you guys think of the title and what it what it might mean to say that Thomas More is a man for all seasons? I'm hoping Mike Grevy knows this because I looked it up, <laughs> read the reason, and didn't understand it. So I, I, okay. I, it went over my head. I'm trying to find the quote. Oh, <laughs> man. Because uh, I just I was looking at this the other day. I mean, it um, should be a good thing to know. Why do they call it a man for all seasons? Yeah, I should have had that. And Wikipedia uh, says it comes, it's it that Bolt borrowed it from uh, uh, Robert Whittington, Whittington who okay, was a contemporary yeah. of, of Thomas More. Um, and it says, uh, the, the quote is more as a man of an angel's will in singular learning. I know not of his fellow for where is the man of that gentleness, lowliness and affability. And his time requires of a man of marvelous mirth and pastimes. And sometimes of as sad gravity, a man for all hmm. seasons. Yeah. That's what I read. And I, I didn't get what that. <laughs> I, you know, I just off the top of my head, I, I, 
I wonder if, and I think this comes across in the movie too, you know, just, just reading about him and just, you know, you have this guy who is, I mean, he's, he's one of the most cultured men's or men in Europe. You know, I mean, he's, yeah. he's known across the continent. He's this incredibly, you know, erudite, serious scholar, you know, is a, a man of, of, you know, law and science and culture. And, you know, just this really classically educated guy, um, best friends with Erasmus, you know, and, um, by the same token, he's he's known for like his really kind of cutting edge wit. You know, there's a real sort of, I don't know, like an affability, a down to earthness about him at the same yeah. time. Maybe it's something along those lines, too, that there's this, you know, he's not just this this, um, you know, stiff, legal, political kind of figure. You know, like he's. Yeah, he travels in those circles, but he's a completely not a, a man that's bribable, you know, and. and I feel and, like, and I love yeah. we'll talk about that more, like seeing the people around him just being very honest about like. Yeah. You know, his friend later is saying, like, why can't you come along with us? It's disproportionate. Yes. You know, right. it's like we're supposed to be arrogant. We're supposed to. Yeah. And yeah. it's like he's not like yeah, that. Yeah, I love that line. It's disproportionate. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, this is this is well. And that's one of the things I like about why he's a saint. You know, like it's disproportionate. You don't need to die for this. You know, it's just, yeah. you know, there, there's other things. And um, I, I use the story of Thomas More when I when I'm teaching. Uh, about the importance of the truths of our faith that he didn't die because he wouldn't deny Christ. You know, he didn't right. deny because he wouldn't burn incense uh, to some pagan God. Uh, he died because uh, he wouldn't deny the authority of the Pope. Uh, you know, that, I mean, that's, you know, you know, and, and here we, we have like live in a, in a post Christendom world where, so many people will easily deny the authority of the Pope, by the way, you know, and just say, no, he can't tell me. And, and here we have a man who went to his death and said, I will not mm. uh, deny the, the authority of the Pope. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's just a, it's a, it's such an inspiration. So what I think the title really refers to partially is from uh, Whittington's uh, quotation there. I was wondering, you know, as a man for all seasons, he's a, he's, through thick and thin, through good times and in bad, he is a constant companion who's always there for you. He's always mm. has the right thing to say. He always has the right attitude. He's always ready when when you know when it's time to party, he's there to party. When he's when it's time to mourn, he is there to mourn. He is a man for all the seasons of life. Mm. And I think that really comes across in this in this movie, as you guys both said. Yeah. You know, that this he's a guy who was constant he was a constant um almost to a fault as even his wife i think gets frustrated with him uh you know at, at points where he's just constantly uh will not bend will not no no uh, not even if even as much as he wants to like hmm. you can tell at times and we'll, we'll, i'm sure we'll talk about this as we go there are times when you can tell he just wants to get to say it and just get it over with hmm. for the sake of others because of the pain right. that it's causing others, but he can't because it would be wrong. And I think that's really what makes more a, a saint is as much as he wants to do the wrong thing for the right reasons, if you know what I mean, mm -hmm. he cannot, he just can't do the wrong thing. It would be wrong. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it would separate him from God. And that would be, and that is the worst thing possible. And he he's a he's a servant and a friend of the king, yes. Uh, up until the end, and he says mm -hmm. so. And that's another man for all seasons. For 
I mean, he, as we go through the movie, he's, I forget his title before he became chancellor, but then he, they took that away and then they took everything yeah. away and then they put him in the tower of London and he's still the same man right through all these seasons. And then, of course they have the, the imagery of showing the seasons while he's in, right. the, uh, you know, that, that kind of, uh, you know, we're not going to say the title, but we'll show you the title. Yeah. Right. Right. And, That's true. and he's, he reminds me and, and, and I'm not, I mean, I've, I've read different books on the saints and stuff like that, but I, I think for some reason he reminds me of St. Padre Pio because of his, his wit, his, his like sharp wit, mm. you know, Padre Pio is known to tell, tell it as it is, you know, yeah. in some of the ways he acted and, and he would do that, especially with, uh, uh, Richie Rich. I keep thinking of cartoon uh, character. Uh, rich, 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 rich. Yeah, and and I mean, John Hurt is unrecognizable compared to what I. I mean, wow, oh, yeah. what a young man oh, he yeah. is in this movie. Yeah, I kept waiting um, for the alien to burst out of his yeah. chest. It's just like, and and he, and he plays such a uh, you know just such a worm of a guy, yeah. a callow, and, shallow yeah. man, and, yeah. and 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 the way. Moore has the ability to just assess his character and try to steer him in a way that will will that he can handle. You know, like this this isn't something you can handle. This is a lot of pressure, and you'll be better off. You know, kind of the near occasion of sin. And so, even with his you know just embarrassing this guy, and almost you can almost blame him for his downfall in the sense that he pushed him towards um, Cromwell. Cromwell, yeah, yeah, uh, but but still, uh, I, 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 that's the saintly. Like the, the the saints aren't just like these super nice people who are all gentle. They're 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 tough when they have to be tough, uh, and and that's kind of where I saw it. So let's talk a little bit about the cast. You mentioned John Hurt playing a very young John Hurt playing mm-hmm, Richard yeah. Rich. Uh, we have uh, Paul Schofield as St. Thomas More. Uh, we mentioned Wendy Hiller as Alice More. Leo McKern as Thomas Cromwell. Mm. Uh, you might, if you know any British TV, you might know him from Rumpel in the Bailey. Uh, he, he played that Orson Welles as the unctuous Cardinal Wolsey, <laughs> almost a character from Dune. <laughs> like, I mean, so oh, evil. Uh, Robert Shaw <laughs> as King Henry VIII. Mike Dense. We were just talking about Robert Shaw. I know. Jaws. I thought it was so funny. This I mean, is like the second week, second Thursday in a row. Yeah. We're talking about Robert Shaw. And it's really hard not to, you know, see Quint in King Henry VIII, which is really weird. And yes. for me, I'm not a dialect person, but Robert Shaw sounds more like a Scottish Irish. So it was kind of weird yeah. for King Henry VIII to have. Uh, maybe it's a, a Scottish Irish accent. Yeah. But yeah, it just sounds more uh, Scottish or Irish than English the way he talks. And I just thought it was kind of funny. But I, he was born in England. I mean, I don't know if that's yeah. where he was raised. But. but- the uh his king henry the eighth was so like almost unhinged at times you know just uh and it just reminded me of, of that slightly unhinged quint from from uh jaws which was good oh yeah uh, he might have been drinking on this set too who knows every and, and like every time like that's one of my favorite scenes it's just so uncomfortable you know which like one? the the surprise like uh, uh the surprise quote unquote surprise dinner, visit yes right yeah you know, and it's just so, I mean, and I'm sitting there and thinking, I'm like, man, I've been to some awkward faculty meetings or I've been to some, you know, and it's like, good Lord, that is just like, I'm pulling my collar back. Like I'm sitting on the couch, my wife and I are watching and I'm like, I've seen this a lot and it never gets more. Comfortable. Yeah. So, so everyone just, can hear him through the windows and all the sycophants oh following around. And oh my God. Yeah, well, yeah. I want to, I want to dig into that scene in a bit, but I just want to finish the, um, 
Sorry. The other <laughs> casting is uh, we, Vanessa Redgrave shows up as Anne Boleyn, which is yes, uh, and yeah. uh, I think that's for for stars that most people would notice. I think that really is is uh, the, the, the. But there's other people that if you watch old movies, you'll have seen them in other things. Susanna York is Margaret, that sort of thing. Um, so we we do start with his summoning by Cardinal Wolsey, and we have Dom. I'm so sorry to interrupt. But just before we, the one thing about the cast I want to mention. I, I don't know if you saw this because I didn't know this, but I guess um, I think Bolt wanted or the team they 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 really insisted on Schofield for the role. Yeah, um, and to have Leo McKern, I guess, who had also been in the stage production, but in a different role, I think, or they they tweaked it or something because they just had they had such a presence in, in. So I think that's important to point out too, just as far as like when you watch it, like it just feels so right. And I think it's because there had been for at least some of these, these main guys, you know, they these major the players, play. right. Like they really knew it so well. I don't know if it, it's for the same character, but there's only a handful of people who've won a Tony and an Oscar for, uh, right. and and this is for the same character that right. Schofield did it. Yeah. yeah. In the play, Leo McKern played the common man, which was a oh, character right. that did not show up in the movie right. for obvious reasons, but it got divided up into several different uh, 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 characters. So there was this, there was this, the common man who just kept showing up in different places to kind of ground the ground him. And, but in the movie, those lines were given to, let's see the boatman at the beginning, the Thames boatman, uh, uh, Thomas Moore, steward, Michael, uh, the, the servant, uh, an innkeeper, Matthew, oh, Matthew, Matthew, yeah, Matthew. Matthew. I uh, love him. I don't know why I said Michael. <laughs> Michael's but, on your brain. That's I know. I get <laughs> Michael's all around. <laughs> it's Michael's all the way down. Uh, and, <laughs> an innkeeper, the jailer in the tower, the jury foreman, and the executioner were all played by one car- one man in the yeah. play, as a as a sense of a through line of that these that this is the people of England, right? That who are all there in the you know in the in in the midst mm. of all this uh so i thought that was very interesting yeah um but yeah that was leo mccurn in the stage play but it is cool that yeah they brought these actors over to the movie to to kind of connect it to it's like if they made mm. a movie out of hamilton you know you'd want to see uh lin manuel as as alexander and you'd want to see um mm-hmm. uh the other actors which now the they're that's a whole nother thing and i can't i only have room in my brain for one thing at a time so let's <laughs> Let's keep this one here. But the other actors that we are familiar with. All right. So digging in. uh, So we have uh, Orson Welles' Wolsey uh, summoning the uh, more to the uh, to his palace uh, in the middle of the night. Um, It's sort of as a power play. It's quite the power play. Just a a, a midnight summons and more goes because it's what it's what he does. He's obedient. Um, And what he wants is so we this. In case people aren't familiar, Henry wants an heir. He wants a male heir. And his wife at the time, Catherine of Aragon, uh, Queen Catherine, has not produced a surviving male baby. He, they've She's had a couple of babies. They have died uh, or miscarried. And, and now he wants out so that he can marry his mistress in Boleyn. And the, 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 justification and this is an important point which i think it's kind of ignored a lot in catholic circles but henry had a justification that he was advancing which is that catherine was his brother's widow and it was considered at the time in the in the law and in the church law to be incestuous 
for a bro- for a, a man to marry his brother's widow wasn't allowed and he had had to get a special dispensation from the pope in order to do so catherine it was to maintain alliances with spain and you know good relations with spain because catherine was a princess of, of spain and so he'd gotten that that dispensation from the pope and now henry wanted to uh, set her aside and divorce her on the grounds of well that was an illegal marriage that that should never have happened the pope should never have allowed that Mike Dance, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think? One of the interesting things was was uh, later on in the movie with the big scene of the visit uh, with um, Henry and Thomas More, Henry quotes a line of scripture where you're not supposed to do this. Yeah. And Thomas More starts to quote, I believe, a Leviticus scripture uh, and Henry cuts him off. But the scripture is that if your brother's wife uh, didn't ever bear any children, then you can take her into your, you know, then it's, then it's okay. Right now. Now that's different from the church. I mean, you know, the church law was whatever, but that was what Henry, that's what Thomas More was going for uh, there uh, in that sense. So it's, it's interesting. Only when the Pope's decrees work for Henry, does he like them. Right. And, and the, the, the church had a different relationship with, with, the Catholic kings of the era, because Henry was still the Catholic, a Catholic king, whereas the, there was this, this sense that among the kings that they were somewhat equal to the Pope in being leaders of the church. The church, the Pope led in uh, in religious matters, but the but the kings led in the societal matters. And so there was this much they, they saw themselves as much more equals. So that's the thing we have to keep in mind when we look at these historical events uh, you know, that were occurring. And that's one of the reasons why Henry felt like he had a case to be made. But in any, but in any, any respect, um, Henry wanted out. He wanted an heir. And Wolsey demands of Thomas, well, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> like, what are you going to do about Henry's desire for an heir? And Thomas's line is, the king needs no advice from me in that area. <laughs> like, as in, I'm sure the king knows how babies are made. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Which is not what Wolsey was saying, but, you know, Thomas, being very clever, says it. And isn't Wolsey just such a, you know, like, it's so clear in Orson Welles' portrayal of him that, you know, this isn't about God. This He's isn't not a about man of Christ. This isn't right. about, you know, and, and it's, you know. Uh, I mean, and the, this is encouraging for me when and I'm not, of course, not, you know, getting into any stuff going on in the world now. But, you know, we we run into sometimes, you know, unfortunately, clergy or even bishops sometimes who it's just like your your jaw drops and you're like, how can that be? And it's like it shouldn't be, but it's always been. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's encouraging for me, at least in the sense that, like, you know, it helps you remember that it's not there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Right. This <laughs> was an apostle. You know, yeah. And, you know, and, and all the, the political machinations and everything. And, and I just love there's so many things in that one scene. I can't remember all of them, but just, you know, you know, like him kind of mocking Thomas, you know, like, oh, you know, you'd want to rule the country with prayers. You know, he's yeah. Like, yes, <laughs> yep. I really would. Like, yeah, OK. At, I want to ask you guys this, because as I was watching it and, and I, I searched to see pictures of Wolseley, uh, if I was right on this and I couldn't find a, a, a one. The way they had the lighting and the makeup and the shot of of him, it looked like a painting. It looked yeah. like a two dimensional painting. Did you notice that? Yeah. I mean, he really just kind of appeared like 
like he was just supposed to be sitting still and it was a painting he was looking at yet it moved and you know it was very i don't know if that's what they went for his skin was very like pale and sallow and unhealthy looking very definitely he's very in his place (laughs) he's just it's almost like the, Jabba the Hutt. Like, yeah, you know, the backlighting, the backlighting was like non-existent. It just kind of was like dark, you know. Almost like and a he spider just... at the center of his web. I, and I wonder yeah. if that was intentional. Yeah. So uh, there's this great moment where Wolsey wants to says he wants to pressure the Pope to allow a divorce. He doesn't want the dynasty to end and bring about dynastic wars. And doesn't Thomas want to avoid a, a dynastic war? Wouldn't that be a worse uh, and, hmm. and and Moore has this great line where he says, when statesmen forsake their own private conscience for the sake of their public duties, they lead their country by a short route to chaos. And I want to like put carve that in stone and set right. that in front of the White House. I, mean, I was going to say, not know, necessarily Congress, commentary on this particular every, occupant, but it just in general. Every state house. Every, yeah. You know, yeah. Just. Oh my goodness! Wow, it should be carved in stone in all places where legislators sit. Yeah, but yes, and and we're going to come back. I want to save that that quote I hinted at with you guys earlier for, for a little bit later. But I, that's you know, conscience is of course going to be this recurring theme. You know, yes, and I just love that right at right at the get go. You know, I mean, he has he has absolutely no reason whatsoever to even remotely suspect at this point that he's going to have his head cut off someday. Right. You know, like we're nowhere. Like there's nothing in law at any point that should justify that. And yet even now it's like, like you're already seeing the seed of the very thing that's going to, you know, facilitate that. Right. It's all said and done. You know, the, the seeds are laid in this scene because then he's also given the silver cup uh, that is tried to, they try to use against them later. Uh, mm. As if he was uh, being bribed for a, a, he was a judge, and so they 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 claim that his judgment was uh, conflict of interest, mm. uh, etc. Now, didn't uh, in this conversation, um, Thomas More said, "Well, we'll just have to appeal to the Pope again." And Wolsey's like, "No," as if I want to do an end around the Pope or mm. pressure. You know, not not you know that's not going to work because the Pope won't give it to him. So. We have to do something else. So it seemed to right. me like Wosley, I could be wrong, already had the idea of what we need to do is just do it mm. ourselves. And because the, the Pope is not going to go with us on this one. I think I think, he, yeah, I think that Wolsey had already decided that um, appealing to the Pope was a dead end and they just yeah. needed to 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 back Henry's uh, justification and just go from there. So uh, we we've. We follow uh, Thomas back to his house and at uh, Chelsea, and there he has this. Um, actually, both before and after he goes to to see Woolsey, there's this young man, Richard Rich, we mentioned before, played by John Hurt, who is kind of just this. He's typical of a, of a young men trying to find their place in the world and looking for. Uh, a patron to attach themselves to who will then advance their, their fortunes in life. And he's kind of showed up with more and to see if more could hook him up with any of his friends. He's doing some networking. It's a little LinkedIn stuff here. And uh, he, he tries to, uh, the Duke of Norfolk notices him. He's like, who's this guy? Uh, would you recommend him? I'm like, no. Because <laughs> <He's like, laughs> he sees right through him. Like he loves rich, you know, Richard rich as a, as a, as a, a good young man who, but he sees his flaws, which is you do not belong at court. If you end up in court at the court, you know, like the court of the King, 
it will be your ruin. You will be corrupted by that. Go become, what does he say? Go become a teacher. Be a teacher. Take yeah. a safe, quiet job as a teacher. And and Rich is is like, but no one will ever know me. Your students will know you. Your mm. the, the people of the school will know you. That's all that's important. That's God enough. will know you. God, God yeah. will know you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, he's a historical character. Correct. Oh yes, mm-hmm. he is an actual. And was his name really Richard Rich? Richard Rich, because yes. that's like uh, uh, Oliver Twist kind of name. I mean, that's right. just a little bit on the nose. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's amazing. There is a priest of the Archdiocese of Boston named William Williams. Well, still, but he's this guy's all about money, and his name is Richard yeah. Rich. So I hadn't even thought of that <laughs> aspect of it. The yeah, this is really. Boy. Yeah, <laughs> there was a comic book when I was a kid. I don't know if it's still around. Called Richie Rich, the the poor yeah. little rich boy. Which yeah. I love those comics. They were they were so much fun. Um, so then we have poor, poor Thomas who can't get a rest. Uh, he, he, his daughter shows up. She's got her uh, suitor there, uh, William Roper. And uh, he's, he is, seems to be a very nice young man, very well set, you know, with his profession. He's just got one problem. He's a heretic, <laughs> which is he's a Lutheran. He's accepted Luther, Martin Luther's uh, uh, heresies. And Thomas is adamant that until you reject those heresies, you will not marry my daughter. Uh, and uh, Roper just is so precipitous. And in fact, at one point he wants to like sp- to speak against the King on behalf of Thomas and sort of in defense of Thomas and, and Thomas said, like, don't say anything in, fr- in my presence that yeah. I will have to do something about, because you know that yeah. if Thomas will follow his do du- do his duty and have his potential son-in-law arrested. That's on a much less serious note. You know, sometimes the high school students start having conversations and start heading a direction. And I want to quote, like, there are some things I may not hear. (laughs) (laughs) Like, because if you if you say that sentence, you're about to say, I have to write up paperwork. I don't want to do that. Just stop talking. You don't want me (laughs) to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I love when he's talking to Roper. I love that. That's one of my favorite lines, too. And he's like, you know, calls him a heretic and he gets all upset. That's a word I don't like. He's like, it's not a likable word. It's not a likable thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and that's great. It's like, yeah, that's that's probably why, you know, you shouldn't be one. Right. I, I want to point out here that this is one of the points where I'm like, wow, what was 1966 like? I I, I know that's a, a big upheaval in, in society and and where social norms and accepted morality and stuff were really turning. But still, it just seemed awfully late for a movie where a Lutheran's called a heretic and the and the the ending of the movie is to the triumphant declaration that the Pope is the vicar of Christ wins best picture uh, is, is a, you know, how times have changed. Yeah. Yes. Uh, But yeah, I mean, things were, but there were still, that's the thing is, is even in the sixties, you could still have movies that were this way, like things didn't switch overnight. And so there were movies that had rejected the, 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 what had come before and I mean, if you think about it, The Godfather was made four years after this came out. Like, that's a very those are two very different kinds of movies from two different mm-hmm. movie eras, even, you know, yeah. it's just. Yeah, the, the look and everything of the it's. Yeah, I forget what what the name it was. I was trying to look it up, but there was that, uh, you know, there was some something in place, you know, with with, you know, certain uh, you know, uh, decency, you know, kind of, you know, regulations oh, the and League stuff of for decency, certain. Yeah. Of, but but I, I forget the timing because I had a friend who was a filmmaker years ago who pointed out that that I don't know if it was that or something similar to it that dissolved like the same year and yeah. was talking about the radical difference where you go from like this winning best picture 
to where it starts to go I think, <laughs> just I think a few Blackboard short years Jungle later was the first movie come out after the okay the league of De- decency went away um okay. and it was like it was a watershed moment in movie making so yeah this right okay. here is that is that switching point and this movie may be could you could almost consider to be the end of that era that first mm-hmm. era and the beginning of the new i just want to also point out since uh this is you know where she becomes kind of prominent as a character Susanna york uh i love her uh and i saw that she was in this like oh yeah because Number one, she's Superman's mom originally. Yes. Uh, and, and also she played Mrs. Cratchit in my favorite version of uh, Christmas Carol with George C. Scott. Um, oh, yeah. And, and she gives yeah. a great speech about, you know, we ought, you know, we ought to toast a man like that, you know, in during the, the dinner scene where Bob Cratchit wants to toast him and she uh, goes in a huff. But she was great in that, too. And the, I mean, she's done over 100 films, so I'm I, I, not saying that's her claim to fame. Right. Those are the two things that uh, make her near and dear to my heart. Yes, she was really good in this. And I in the character of Margaret, I mean, the he, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Moore had more than one child. I think he had like a couple of daughters and I think um, he had three, yeah, three from daughters his first and a wife. son. Yeah, and it was from from his first wife who who, who had died. Uh, his present wife um, didn't. She raised Margaret like it was her own, but uh, th- that wasn't her real mother. Okay, so uh, but in this we kind of conflate them all. But I, uh, my my recollection is that his daughters were also like the, like Margaret like Margaret isn't here, very well educated, very well spoken, and you know on a par with their father in in that in that intellectual department. So uh, very interesting there. Uh, so Wolsey dies and Moore becomes the chancellor, which is the, you know, sort of the high position, the, the king's chief counselor, in, in essence, the head of the king's uh, privy council. And uh, so at this point, we have this, we mentioned before, the surprise, quote unquote, visit by King Henry VIII. And I love how they stage this. It's all very like over the top. Henry is is almost manic. Uh, it's almost like he has a. He he's almost um what's the word uh manic depressive I think like where bipolar. he's bipolar. bipolar where he goes from one extreme to the other with, yeah. like like a switch flipping um he's surrounded by sycophants like the the all the court uh, courtiers yeah. uh it I just love how well all of this kind of is put together and you get in this one scene a real sense of this is this is the state of the governance of this kingdom at this period in time and the, the, the kind of craziness of the reign of Henry the eighth. So it was really, and you know, and uh, Robert Shaw does such a great job here with like, just p- depicting this kind of crazy King. And it's interesting uh, besides the, the wedding itself where he thinks more is there later on. These, these are the only two scenes that Shaw is in, right? I don't think they have been yes. there yet. Which was, I was like, when I kind of was thinking back, I'm like, wow, I mean, like such a great character and everything. And I guess that's just the way the play was written, but that they didn't have more back and forth between him and Thomas uh, and stuff like that was, uh, was amazing. I think it, I think it was a good choice because it makes Henry this background figure that this, that looms over the situation, but isn't himself involved. You like know? the shark, he's not. He's there. Right. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. I'm sorry, I'm going back to the last week's movie. Oh, sorry. And even though Thomas is the lone holdout among all the 
important people of England on Henry's behalf, you know, on the this question that Henry has, he, Henry desperately needs Thomas to be the one to say it's okay because Thomas is the lone man of truth. Because if Thomas agrees with him, then everyone knows that this must be the right thing to do. And that, I mean, it's kind of amazing because he's the king. Just do it. Like if every, if you've got everybody but one guy on your side, what just do it then? And he eventually does. But at this point, it's like he's, he's holding up for Thomas. It's got to be Thomas, Thomas. Uh, sorry, another Hamilton reference. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's, I'm just looking here because I, I, I should have. I just didn't have time, unfortunately. I wanted to read up on because another figure that kind of is mentioned, I think once, um, is St. John Fisher, who is the Bishop yeah. of Rochester, you know, who was, you know, I don't know if he I, I don't know if. If he was the only English, you know, like, you know, the only um, bishop, to hold bishop out. who didn't. Yeah. You know, but but he, of yeah. course, was was executed as well. Um, and that's, you know, more mentions him at the beginning when when Wolsey's playing the game and being like, you know, who do you think will wear this after me? You know? Right. And he says, you know, you, you know, so and so. And my Cromwell, you know, Cromwell, Cromwell. <laughs> but that's yeah, I love Moore's line. He's like Fisher for me. You know, like if, if it's up to him, he wants it to be Fisher. And then he's like Cromwell. He's like me instead of Cromwell, <laughs> you know? but that's, yeah. So that's, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what their relationship was. That's something I'd like to learn a little bit more about, you know? Um, but yeah, it, it's, um, it, again, that, that looming, I mean, it's what I'm particularly intrigued about. Cause this, what it made me do is it made me want to go read more biographies about like these individuals. Yep. Um, and then Cranmer, you know, the, um, uh, archbishop of Canterbury, who was just, not a great guy either right right <laughs> you know um but yeah there's just there's just so many interesting characters in it the whole the whole thing with the the visit and is that what we're getting into yeah. now with yeah with, and the and and he like thomas we'll we'll go and we'll talk so the whole reason for this visit because he can't phone him is i i, I want to make sure you're with me on this divorce and it's supposed to be this secret little talk they're having in the garden you know the garden which everyone can hear through the windows and uh, once he's through with that and, and there is that bipolar, like you're my friend sit. And then he gets all mad and then like, right. you know, And rails against the Pope. And who does he think he is? And then, you know, he's, he's calm again. And then he's like, well, I gotta go. And like, they have a feast that they've carefully prepared inside. He'd even <laughs> look at it. Right. And like, we're off here and he leaves his sick offense, like staying on the beach. Um, that was great. And yeah. the other part of this that it reminds me of, is Moore and Henry VIII, uh, to me, are like Herod and John the Baptist. Uh, yeah. Herod, you know, and it's yeah. an, another marriage thing. It's very right. interesting. And this is, you know, Herod married his, oh, gee, brother's wife. And, uh, but he didn't want to, he liked listening to John the Baptist and he didn't want to kill, be threw him in prison uh, to try to pacify his wife. Uh, but he, uh, you know, he would listen to him and he didn't want him to be killed. And he was not happy when uh, Herodias or the Herodias's daughter asked for a Salome for the head of John the Baptist. Uh, so it's interesting. You have these two kings who got mixed up in a bad marriage or whatever. And, uh, you know, they're, they're getting tugged at by I, I want the righteous one to, to like me and I, I, I want to get in with him. And they give in to their own sinfulness. That's a good point. 
So the, this scene is followed by another scene where we have uh, the, the famous, I think probably the most famous quote, I think, of, of Thomas More comes up where Roper denounces the king, William Roper, who is uh, Margaret's fiance, uh, her suitor, as an enemy of the church and a minister of the devil. And, you know, he's like, we should ignore the, the law and just take him out. You know, we, we confound the law. The, the king is wrong. And more has this. And when the last law is down and the devil has turned around on you, where would you hide, Roper? The laws all being flat. This country is planted thick with laws from coast to coast. Man's laws, not God's. And if you cut them down, do you really think you could stand upright in the winds that would blow them? Yes. I'd give the de devil the benefit of the law for my own safety's sake. I mean, just is this this great quote about how the law is exists to protect everyone, including for when you are the, the one in the strong position. It protects yep. you when you also will eventually be in the weak position. The law is the law. It doesn't it, it, it doesn't care. It shouldn't matter who's the one in power. Yeah. I just love that 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 quote in that scene because it really sets the tone for the movie. It's like the the law is the law. It's regardless of how my feelings about it or that sort of thing or what's convenient. Uh so so we have that and then um Cromwell lures lures Richie Rich to his corruption. Um and it's 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 a sad tale to see mm -hmm. Rich as he sort of descends down the steps and at one point um uh, Cromwell eventually gets him to betray uh, a, a small betrayal of um, uh, where's it uh, a small betrayal of more he says uh, I've lost my innocence and Cromwell says you lost that some yeah. time ago if you've only just noticed it can't have been very important to you and then he says something to the to the effect of uh, it's going to get easier don't worry the yeah. next time and it does yeah and he and then you know to Cromwell's um I was going to say credit, not that, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but to just notice how he, he, he knows exactly, you know, who rich is or who he can be, you know I mean? It's just, he's right. just got him pegged. Yeah. Right from no, the he is, apparently this open book to everybody. I mean, he yeah. knows exactly what, what he's like. Yeah. And he's, and he's just kind of like incredulous, like, well, what do you mean? You know, uh, you know, and he's trying to be all proper, but, but the, he's, he has no, kind of like no hope. When he says to me, he's like, you know, what kinds of things would you, you know, would you report? And he's like, well, nothing said in friendship. He's like, Rich, seriously. He's like, so, yeah, he's like, seriously. He's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh, well. <laughs> but, but no, on no, how no, much really. you give me. Yeah. Seriously? <laughs> so, um, oh. so Thomas ends up resigning as chancellor when Henry demands that the bishops forswear allegiance to the Pope. And that's the, the, the final straw. But one important thing to, to, to note in this, the story of Thomas More is he's, it's not that he stands up and says to Henry, you're wrong. The Pope is right. It's that, that Thomas refuses to reveal what he thinks. He refuses to say one way or the other because he's loyal to both right. the Pope and the King. And, and he, and he refuses to take a side uh, in, in the sense of to, to swear allegiance to the, to the, to the king's um uh what was it the oath of the oath of loyalty for the act of mm. succession which is right. the one that would set aside his marriage or you know to do anything of, of any sort to say anything and that's really the principle he stands on is i have a right to be silent i have a right to silence and to not incriminate myself which is interesting to consider 
the Fifth Amendment to the of the right. U.S. Constitution. I mean, he's really standing on that. It's yeah. interesting. You're wondering, okay, how saintly is he if he won't? You know, he's trying to save his life, but he carefully like tells his daughter, you know, we're, I'm not. I'm. It's okay. I can hold on to my life. I'm not required to to do this as long as I don't sign the oath. He was even thinking, what's the oath say? I might be able to say it, but he right. can't. Mm-hmm. And he's very careful to construe the whole thing to basically be, you, you can't know why I won't say that. Right. There's no way you can understand that. And, and even goes as far as, as, as later on is to say, actually by law, my silence should mean consent uh, by law. Right. You know, not not by his, you know, his own. It is until proven guilty. Right. You, yeah. you, my silence should not be should not be considered a sign of guilt. Silence uh, means consent under the law. So, right. you you know, but you, he's really he's really got it down to a science. Yes. A really well orchestrated yeah. thing that they cannot get him out of. They're they all need, standing there trying to get him get him yeah. to stumble or, 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 or say something that would prove that he's guilty. And he's like, no, you, I've, I've thought this through. I, there's no way you got me unless of course what right. happens at the end. Yeah. They, they, uh, they try, he knows the law inside and out and he's just will not be caught by it. Um, I, I like there's a scene where the, the Duke of Norfolk, who is his close friend is trying to get him to, to, to do the thing to, you know, the, 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 the hold his nose and just do the thing that will, that will save him. And um, he tricks Norfolk into admitting he'd betray the king in favor of his friend Thomas, and that and Thomas like, how could how dare you try admit to betraying the king? You should never betray the king. And he's like, how darn you all the heck, Thomas, for tricking me into into that. I mean, it's just that that's that scene where he says, um, it, it's uh, what was the um, it's disproportionate. That's where he, that the scene where he he calls it disproportionate his uh, his obstinacy, um. So Cromwell, through the the middle part of the movie, keeps looking for ways to find a flaw in more, you know, is he corrupt? Uh, did you do this other thing? And he, he can't find anything. But when Thomas refuses to go to the wedding the, between Henry and Anne Boleyn, that's when charges are brought by Cromwell. Well, and, and just to back up for a second, it's, yeah. you know, to... to, to the way they, they sort of get across this idea of this spooky network of, of spying, you know, um, mm-hmm. because the, so when when Norfolk and he's leaving with the, the chain of office, you know, and that's when they have that, you know, that conversation. And uh, he says, you know, why, you know, why are you talking to me? Like, why are you giving me all this, this, you know, kind of drivel, Thomas? Like, why are you talking to me like this? And he's like, you know, because I'm afraid. And he's, he's sincere. And Norfolk says, you know, man, you're daft. And he's walking away. And he's like. This isn't Spain, you know, this is England, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. just like, you know, and then later, you know, when, when Norfolk's kind of pushing back against Cromwell a little bit, like, this is nonsense, you're wasting my time. And he's, you know, it's like, are, you know, are you threatening me, Cromwell? And Cromwell says, you know, Norfolk, this isn't Spain. It's England. It's <laughs> yeah, like, that was, that was great. Oh, you know, like, it's just, oh, wow. And he looks for a second and he's like, hmm, okay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like thinking about it so yeah, yeah there, there was the one where like they threw the rock at the kid and he like ran away yeah, yeah to, pr- to prove that there's people yeah. but that was followed? a lot more sinister of a yeah of a re- revelation yep so uh thomas it is interesting how thomas relies 
on his faith in the king's integrity for his own safety. Like he he believes that the king the king's integrity will prevent anything bad from happening happening to Thomas from trumped up charges for fault you know false charges. He thinks that the king will whatever else happens the king will not betray the the truth of the law will not undermine the law will not undermine and that's the that's really the where thomas gets the the fatal flaw it's not an un, uh, it's not a downfall or uh it's, but it's a it's the sense of uh he can't imagine the king would do this and yet the king does and that's mm. that's what gets him um so parliament passes a law requiring an oath of loyalty to the act of succession and we mentioned Thomas like hopes, honestly hopes it's worded in such a way that he can actually take the oath without swearing to do to, to something that he can't, but he can't. And so he's imprisoned in the tower of London and we get this, this really good montage of the seasons changing. So we see mm-hmm. he, that he's in there for quite a while and for he keeps all the seasons for all mm-hmm. the seasons. He keeps getting brought before the King's council. He won't swear the oath. He won't say why. Uh, Norfolk tries to get him to agree for the sake of fellowship. And mm-hmm. I love this part. He says, and when you go to heaven for following your conscience and I go to hell for not following mine, will you go along for fellowship? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes. Uh, well, and that, that whole, like that, I was thinking about it because I thought this, it would potentially, you know, maybe come up, you know, like if you have to pick a favorite scene, you know, and it's, it's hard to say, but I, I really think that, that inquiry, you know, with with Norfolk and Cromwell and, and Cranmer, the archbishop, and then Rich is there off to the side, mm-hmm. you know, and they, and they bring him from the tower again. Well, I think that is that Hampton Court or, or wherever. Yeah, I mean, it's one of they bring him there. Oh, and, yeah. um, is that where they have the H's on there? No, H's. For no, Henry. The, yeah, this, oh, this was duh. when he's in the tower. Yeah, they, they bring. Oh, right. Yeah. And then they bring him in there. And, but and he's just, you know, he's tired and he's been in prison and everything. But that that's just. I think that's one of my favorite scenes because they're all Adam and they all make like, like, I don't know if you're like, you know, like me watching it. I'm like, man, that's like, what would I say to that? Right. You know, oh, and the archbishop yeah. presses him and he says something like, you know, I'm not a legal scholar, but I can only guess your spiritual you know, situation. And he says something like, oh, my grace, if you're willing to, you know, if you're if you're willing to guess at that. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. Like, yeah, they, they, he one time he says uh, uh, to um, I think it's the Cromwell you threaten like a dockside bully, and he's mm. like, how should I threaten? You know, like a minister of the state with justice. Mm-hmm. Oh, justice is what you're threatened with. Well, then I'm not threatened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like they can't. And also, they did. They woke him up. I'm assuming it's kind of the middle of the night. They're hoping to get him tired and mm-hmm. and like you know being able to catch him when he's not at his best. And he's still all three of them. He they can't trip him up. Right. Right. Well, and that I love the look on. It's funny. You have to go back and watch if you didn't catch this. But like, I just it's something about um uh, oh, I forgot Leo Leo McKern, you know, as a uh, as uh, Cromwell, something about the look he gives Norfolk when Norfolk like, you know, they're having all these like really specific debates. And Norfolk just bluntly says, he's like, look, I'm not a scholar. I don't know if it was lawful. Like, you know, but he just says that out loud. And that's like saying the quiet part of like he he has no interest whatsoever. He doesn't care at all. He's just the, the party man, you know, right. but, but that like Cromwell's uncomfortable with that. You know, like he's like, uh, cause you know, but, but Norfolk's just like, but just look at these names. Can't just, it's right before the line you mentioned, Dom. I just love that, that build up. You know, he's yeah. like, dude, don't say that out loud. <laughs> uh, so, Later on, uh, Thomas has this uh, this moment where he's talking to Meg, 
And he says to her um, about taking an oath. He says, when a man takes an oath, Meg, he's holding his own self in his own hands like water. And he cups his hands. And if he opens his fingers, then he needn't hope to find himself again. Some men aren't capable of this, but I'd be loath to think your father one of them. This is when uh, his family was allowed to come visit him in the tower uh, to, to to finally persuade him, you know, th- this last persuasion. And Meg has been, in, in, you know, goaded to get him to, to, to change his mind or he'll face the axe. And he, and he says, like, uh, you know, an oath is an oath. A man has to. A man right. has to be a man of his words. If 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 I give up my if I give up my word, if I break my oath, then what am I? What am I after that? Yeah. I'm nothing. Um, and that's the part where yeah. she's uh, she has a couple of arguments because she she promised that she would try to uh, convince him to to take the oath. And one of them is like, haven't you done enough? I mean, aren't you kind of close enough? to what you've you know you've given god this much you spent a year in this tower um and 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 he says if we live in a state where virtue was profitable common sense would make us saintly but since we live in a state that adherence or excuse me aberrance anger pride and stupidity commonly profit far beyond charity modesty justice and thought perhaps we must stand fast a little even at the risk of being heroes. I, I, that was, I, I, that was great. Cause like, even, even at the risk of what might happen to me, uh, if I stand fast, like I might become a hero, which is not what he wants to do. Right. He, he said martyrdom is not what this is made of. He told his wife early on. Yeah. Uh, yet, you know, little did he know. Well, and I just, I think it's, and it's a whole other topic, of course, like, or we could do a whole show just on, conscience obviously but you know we keep coming back to that's in this background and you know there's a uh, and dom i might just share the links with you actually because I, I just heard um you know the acton institute uh, had a really fascinating interview just a few weeks ago with this like the world's premier thomas more scholar i just happened to catch it you know mm-hmm. and i was like wow we're talking about this soon and um uh, just a lot of fascinating stuff about his life and his writings and there was a really good section in that interview where they talked about how more understood conscience versus the way a lot of people today do. And this is where my tea bag thing comes up. Cause I have, you know, the guys uh, can see this, you know, the listeners can, but I felt like, I don't even know where we got this. I have this like ridiculous, like British, like, teacup that we got at like a flea market or something and uh-huh. i never use it and i just like i'm gonna have tea tonight with this show and i think i'm gonna put it in this cup you know it's just like Some but, crumpets yeah you know, just <laughs> make a theme thing here and uh but i get the tea bag out and the, these tea bags have like the, the little whatever the thing is like the little tag that you hold to dip it down mm-hmm. it has like a like a fortune on it and they're all like new agey kind of yeah <laughs> and um the quote was, I just thought it was interesting. It said, your inner self is your inner guide. And I was like, that is exactly, in my understanding, not what Thomas thought. You know, like he he had this sense that it, it's not it's not about me. You know, it's 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 about this like my no, in, in the sense that, you know, it's his truest inner self, because he does talk to Norfolk about that. Right. He says, is there any part of this that's not Norfolk's ambition or Norfolk's whatever, but just you like just the man? But I think his understanding of conscience was what ours should be, namely that it's it's mysterious. But at the end of the day, it's it's your connection to to, to God. It's it's this echo of the voice of God in you. It's this connection to what is real and what is right versus what is wrong. And like if 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 he has with the best of the intellect God has given him discerned and realized that this is wrong, it's like right. he can't do it. It doesn't matter what anyone threatens. It's it's like his deepest allegiance to the truth, you know, 
and being willing to die for it. And I just I think that's why he's such an incredible saint for right now. <laughs> you know, yep. when there is I mean, I mean, like what isn't in question? Right. You know, in the the, con, the, the culture, you know, like truth, whatever you want to make it. Well, how, right. you're never going to get martyrs from that. Holding truth. Yeah, you, you can. There is a kind of martyrdom that's coming that's here and maybe worse coming. Uh, yeah. For those of us who hold to the truth. And I, I, yeah. I like that. Like Your conscience is that true self, that true part of you that holds fast to the will of God. Yeah. That's, I think that's really what, what, you know, how conscience is portrayed in this anyway. It's it's the true self. It's who mm -hmm. who I really am when I'm hold when I'm holding tight, when I'm aligning mm -hmm. myself with the will yeah. of God. Uh, so, yeah the most real, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and even, and, and just back up one more. Cause I, I love it. It's a, uh, it's funny. It's, it's kind of, you know, a little philosophical, I guess. And so sometimes if I show students the scene, like they might like, I don't really know, but it's, I love when he just says that, that exchange again with Norfolk, you know, back outside the house. And he says like, you know, and you know, you're going to give up everything, including the you know, respect of your countrymen, you know, for a belief. And he's just dismissive. And he says, no, because matters is not that I believe it, but that I believe it. You know, right. he's like, I trust I make myself obscure. That's a good line. But there's something about that. He's like, no, not that's like know, the tagline of the whole movie. Right. I trust I make myself obscure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess I think he changes the emphasis. He says, oh, no, not rather not that I believe it, but that I believe it. You know, right. like it's it's not it's about, about the belief who I, that right. the particular belief. It's about it's core. It's about who I am. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so in the Tower of London, I have to say that scene where he says goodbye to his family, man, that is a heart tearing mm. moment. That is that is hard yeah. to watch. Um, it was great. I loved how he was like sitting there trying to woo his wife a little bit. You're, you're, <laughs> yeah. This is great food that you made. I can't remember what she made. Yeah. And your blouse looks lovely, the color at yeah. least. You know, and she's like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I don't want to hear this. Like, do you think I'm so shallow as to want to hear your compliments on my food and on my clothing at this point? And he's like, I'm just yeah. trying to do whatever I can here. I'm a guy. I don't know. Like, I, yeah. I love the fact he just goes across as a regular guy, like a regular yeah. husband. I don't know what the right thing is to say here. What do you want me to say? <laughs> when she i don't know a whole lot about her but I, you know in the, one of the biographies i was reading uh she was i think she was a couple years older than him he knew her through mm -hmm. you know family friends or through you know associations and his first wife died and then he married alice and uh you know it's so it's so it's interesting so we meet him in you know like like for this movie you know they've they've been married for many many years at this point but there is this little bit of a like she feels kind of on the outside because because he's very close to Meg, you know, his daughter from right. his, you know, from his first marriage. And, you know, but I love how they show that, though, that he absolutely loves Alice, though, you know, with yes. his whole heart. And even like that, I love some of their interactions earlier when he's like retiring. He's hoping to work out. He's like, shall I teach you to read? And she's like, God, no, <laughs> <She's> just, <laughs> yeah. she doesn't want anything that's going to pull her into that. You know, like she's not interested in that part of his world. That's his thing. Yeah. You know, it's just funny. I think she feels like, you know, that between Meg and Thomas, they're like these intellectual giants and she yeah. doesn't quite measure. I mean, who would, but you know, right. she doesn't measure up. And I think that is part of her, yeah. her reaction. So then we have this trial, uh, the, the, this final trial that, uh, that Thomas has to undergo. And this is where Richard Rich finally just purges himself straight up lies mm. about what happened. And 
Thomas notices that Rich is in a new outfit and has got a chain of office. He's finally gotten what he wanted, which was power and prestige. And and Thomas rolls out the line from from Jesus, from the Gospels. What is the profit of man to gain the world and lose his soul? Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, Rich but then he goes, but for whales, but for whales, but for whales. <laughs> yes. it's just like really. I mean, the whole world, okay, but for whales, that was great. <laughs> Why, yeah, for whales, Richard. And I, and I don't know if that's. I didn't look into it too much in terms of the trial. I don't know if that specific exchange was historically accurate but he did say like the line when he says something like rich you know in good faith i'm i'm sorrier for your perjury than my peril i think the line is yes and yeah. that's that's some that that's very similar to apparently like you know testimony from you know whatever their version of a stenographer was right right know? whoever was reporting oh, yeah. yeah so he 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 very vociferously in his trial you know affirmed that what rich was presenting was was false or being at least you know, shaped to deliberately get mm-hmm. him executed. There is even to the, at least in the, in the movie to the end, the jury's about to acquit him and Cromwell basically bullies the jury into mm-hmm. giving the verdict that's been predetermined. Um, and then once he's convicted, he just reveals his true thought. This is now when it doesn't matter anymore. Right. The, like why the, hold it in? <laughs> uh, why should I hold it in? And he unleashes an, an eloquent, way of okay this is this is wrong what henry has done is wrong and the pope is the pope and you know the church is the church and so on and so forth and it's it's such a great triumphant moment i mean really even how as he's about to be executed and he's he is triumphant here and he's and he's awesome he gives the line mm. i am the king's true subject and i pray for him in all the realm i do mm. none harm I saw none harm. I think none harm. And if this be not enough to keep a man alive, then in good faith, I long not to live. Wow. In part, I mean, I, his whole speech that he gives them, like now that I can say what's on my mind, uh, in part, it's the indictment is grounded in an act of parliament, which is directly repugnant to the law of God and his holy church, the supreme governance of which no temporal person may by any law presume to take upon him. This was granted by the mouth of our savior Christ himself to St. Peter and the bishops of Rome, which, which he lived and personally present here on earth. It is therefore insufficient in law to charge any Christian to obey it. And more to this, the immunity of the church is promised both in Magna Carta and in the King's own coronation oath. Drop yeah. mic drop. The idea, like the idea of giving that speech extemporaneously. <laughs> yeah, right. Although, and that's why he's talking. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it. it I would have maybe practiced it because knowing it was coming. But, well, yeah. I just love how, like, I love how that whole thing kicks off. Like, he's just sitting there and he just seems very weak and everything, and then he's just very calmly, like, as they're about to pass sentence, he's like, "Excuse me," you know. It's like, yeah. isn't you know, it? Well, I was practicing too. law. It was customary. To, you know, like, do you have something to say? Yes, <laughs> I, might, I, I might think of something. Give me a moment. It was amazing. I, let me ask you guys. I, got, I have a question about what you think about this, because I think like if I'm directing this scene and a lot of it is, you know, right there, you're seeing him, you know, in the front. There's quite a bit of it. I'd forgotten this part, like, but quite a bit of it. That's like from the door. Yeah. Like looking at him like the back. And I don't know if that's meant to it somehow it just does something. It's very effective. And I wonder why they did that. But it, we, 
Does it makes it give him you, seem like, very it gave me the impression small. of him, like, yeah, yeah, he's, like, really, like, in the lion's den almost, yeah. you know? I think that's what it is. It makes him seem small yeah. in the face of all of this that opposes him. And yet he stands right. tall in, in, in that presence. And hmm. it looked, it, I mean, all of England is against him in that sense. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, I think that's, to me, that's what it looks like, the, the staging of that, that scene. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's the whole color palette of the people in the gallery and the red of the judges and everything, mm-hmm. all just kind of way it was all framed. Uh, there's a certain look. When he, I, I don't remember, I know I talked about uh, the Cardinal being looking like a painting, but there was another time and it may have been when he was becoming chancellor. And then this time too, it just had a very, a very authentic 15th, 1500, 16th century look to it, almost right. like it could be a painting. And it was, mm. it's just very well done the way I'll set it up. Mm. And, and, and not to say they were so in love with the shot, they just kept it there, but. Um, you know, I, I, I do like the idea of that you wanted this feel of, you know, he, it, it's, he's by, by himself. He doesn't have a lawyer. Right. He's, he's all by himself. It's him against everyone. And then uh, the execution, he goes to the executioner. He, you know, he, he tells the man to, you know, be, be good at your job. Basically, um, he, he pays the execution, which was, uh, he gives him a tip. Well, I mean, oh my God, that was <laughs> the custom. Like, that was, yeah. Oh, it was. Holy yes. cow. I'm thinking here, here's your tip and here's a little extra, like strong and true, you know, yeah, well, that's something no, nice for no your glancing blows, please. <laughs> that's well, that's the thing is, is you want it to be one good shot. You don't want it to kind of weak, weak wrist. You don't want any. You, yeah. You have to Saint do it Cecilia a couple of times. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which happened. I've, I've heard. Yeah. More than a few times. No, uh, no. It didn't have. So it, this wasn't part of the movie because, because Schofield was unshaven, but apparently when, uh, when, Moore, the the real Moore, went up for his execution. He he said he asked him, "Wait a second, let me move my beard aside, for it has committed no treason against the king." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about man going to your death with oh man, you know, he was with like your I, boots on. Yeah, like, I want to be up there with Saint Lawrence and with good lines yeah, at yeah, his death. Yeah. You know? okay. make this count. Turn me over. This site's done. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but what the movie does have him say is, "I die His Majesty's good servant." Mm. But God's first, and that's that's it's, true. And and not at all to trivialize Saint Thomas More's death by any means. But I I was reminded just there for some reason. You remember you remember the old Seinfeld episode where George is on that whole thing of like getting a good exit from a meeting, yes. you know, or something, or you make like a really memorable or funny line and then you just leave. Right, right. You know, so that's, <laughs> that's like the is. ultimate version of I'm going to deliver this, you know, this this comedic moment because yeah. I'm, I'm headed for something much better. And I hate like, my gosh, the archbishop. I don't know how historically accurate that is, but standing there like right there and then like, yep. you know, you send me to God. You're quite sure of that. Sir Thomas is like, dude, just like, <laughs> just. Like, do you have to do any more to stack, like, you Just know, your screen. own sentence? Like, come on. But he says, you know, he, he will not deny someone what's so blithe to see him or something like right. that. You know, like he's joyful at that moment. And uh, and I like the fact that we get this narration at the end that kind of tells you, like, hey, betraying your, your oath <laughs> was no did not save you. Uh, yeah. Because we we're told Cromwell eventually gets executed for high treason. Yeah. The Archbishop is burned at the stake. Right. Norfolk was to be executed, but Henry died the day before. And Rich, Richie Rich, eventually became chancellor of England and died in his bed. But the others, you know, they didn't they 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 suffered too. So yeah. um it, yeah. it's interesting. By the way, for what it's worth, if if I have to choose between beheading and burning at the stake, it's beheading, of course. Oh, oh yeah. So. yeah. 
I, I have no idea of the, the historical context of why that happened to them. But there's a part of me that wonders if Henry VIII was like, I'm mad at you guys for not getting him to admit, and you made me kill him, so I'm going to kill you too. Well, That's Cromwell all kinds was, of stuff, yeah. Yeah, Cromwell was up to his elbows in corruption to begin with, so I would not surprise that he'd, he'd commit high treason uh, in, in some other manner. But I think I think just Henry was kind of paranoid. I think he was always looking for enemies around him. I think uh, uh, I just I'm remembering this. It was a couple of years ago. You know, like when you uh, we moved into the house we're in right now three years ago, and you know all the stuff you have to do at that point. I was in between jobs, so I listened to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I was like caulking and fixing stuff, whatever. But Father Dwight Longenecker, somewhere out there, has some some uh, podcasts from a couple of years ago where I, th- I think he was reading sort of at length big sections from a lot of like Hilaire Belloc's stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that might have been the source of it. But th- there were some very interesting things he had. I remember now there were like, you know, like a half hour episode on Archbishop Cranmer, a half hour on Cromwell. Like, I think he has some things out there that, you know, you might want to check out that go into that. Oh, I might go cool. back and because I think it gave some more of that background of what happened to those guys. Interesting. Interesting. But, yeah. I'm trying to think of this. If there's other resources like that, out there that tell more about what happened in this time period. But it's a it's an amazing period of time with some amazing saints both canonized and uncanonized the martyrs and all kind all kinds of uh people um it's a horrible time uh in the in the history of the church and of england um and it's but it's worthwhile finding out more about about what happened there was a rob uh there was a book my wife was had read about the martyrs the english martyrs and i'm trying to remember what it was she really liked it i'll have to if i can find it i'll put it in the show notes but it would be a good book to read about that period of time and I, I'll recommend too. The, the, there's a bunch of more biographies. The, the one I read that was just really in depth. Uh, it's not specifically like a a hagiographical type of account. I want to look at some of those too. But it's just a really deep dive into him. It's uh, I think Peter Ackroyd's the author. You know, oh yeah, historian did that one. So that's um, I'll I'll pull a few and send them to you just for what it's worth. I'll I'll try to yeah get that Father Dwight stuff too. But yeah, we'll yeah. try to get those in the show notes. Yeah. Um, any last thoughts on, uh, the movie, a man for all seasons, Mike Denz, any last thoughts on this? Anything we haven't covered? No, I think, uh, it was great fun to talk about it. It was, uh, obviously very easy to get in the, the, the Catholic, uh, bent <laughs> yes. on this very Catholic movie. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just thoroughly, uh, enjoyed it. Excellent. And, uh, how about you, Mike Creevy? Well, I just I thank Mrs. Roan for introducing me to this all those years ago. <laughs> yes. It's been a companion along the way. So thank you, Mrs. Roan. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, let's wrap it up there. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of movies and TV shows, including Camden O, Gretchen B, Thomas S, Jeanette F and Joseph S. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of movies and TV shows and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of A Man for All Seasons. You can let us know by commenting at sqpn.com slash secrets or at the StarQuest Facebook page at uh, sqpn, nope, facebook.com slash Media. Yes, it's at, Star, at Facebook. Or send an email to secrets at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord where we're having some great conversations about all kinds of things, including uh, the topics of our podcast. 
Until next time, Mike Creevy, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of a man for all seasons. Sure, yeah, my pleasure. Mike Dens, thank you as well. And St. Thomas More, pray for Absolutely. Yes. Amen. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of movies and TV shows on StarQuest. Quest.